Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. For the last few hours, I've been head first into the life of the woman you are about to meet. And it kind of feels like being inside the eye of a storm. I feel like I'm a storm chaser in one of those planes. You look around and all you see is an endless blue sky and puffy white clouds, a world of possibility. She is a beautiful hurricane. A person so filled with musical talent and personality that she just can't be contained. She plays the harp. She sings. She dances. She's funny. She entertains audiences worldwide. But like a hurricane, these descriptions don't do her any justice, because she's much deeper than that. She's a Grammy-nominated electric harp virtuoso with a wicked sense of humor, a gutsy set of vocal cords and theatrical flair. In fact, an entire generation of harpists want to be her. Her name is Deborah Henson Conant, and this is her story. Welcome to the show. Candy, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm serious. You are a beautiful hurricane. Do you like my new description? Yes. You know, it's so funny you were saying that. And I was like, I love storms. I love lightning. I love thunder. And what an exciting idea that, you know, that at the heart of the hurricane is this beautiful calm. My dad used to say, talent will not be denied. And as an interviewer, I've learned that artists are very aware of their gifts and talents at a young age. They kind of march to the beat of a different drum. Was that true about you? When I was a little kid, I mean, I loved stories and I loved music. And I loved any kind of toy where you could put things together, where you could see how they were pulled apart and put together. And that included my grandmother's piano, which I could take apart and put together and play with. And so for me, I was just happier playing with a musical instrument and telling stories than I was playing with dolls or or something like that, because I could tell stories and play the music that went with those stories. My parents assumed that, well, she's going to want to have music lessons. They finally realized I did not like lessons. I wanted somebody to tell me how it worked. How does music work? So I could put it together and build what I wanted to build with it. And so finally, when they figured that out, they left me alone. They just let me play all the time on the piano. And I was just make up stories. And so I wrote my first musical, I think, when I was 12. And so music, I think, became my language. I came alive in music. And I did that at first by playing the piano and playing stories, then by crawling under the stereo or the piano when someone else was playing. And finally, I realized I could get close enough if I would write symphonic music and be on the stage with the symphony. When I got to college, my college needed a harpist in the band, and I was just interested. And what's interesting is that as an adult, I guess I was about 22 at that time, I became fascinated with physically learning. So all that that I hadn't been interested in as a child, the physicality of it, the coordination, what it means to create a sound, suddenly it was fascinating to me. And I felt like I could almost be defined by the instrument. And then what I discovered is that I kept kind of hitting ceilings, like I hit the ceiling of what I could express with classical music, what I could, not what somebody else could. 
And then I kept thinking, well, what could I play jazz with this? And that was like, no, 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 you can't. That's too hard. Well, then I'm going to try that. You know, so I would keep <laughs> pitting myself against things. And then I got signed to a jazz label and then I had a band. You know, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing always for more freedom and always for this idea, you know, here's this big instrument that is gorgeous. You sit behind it. It doesn't move. It's got a big butt, basically. And I was like, oh, that defines everything about being a woman that I don't like that I can't move around, that I can't play loud, that I am delicate. And so I thought, I'm going to liberate the harp. But what really happened was that the harp liberated me or that we liberated each other together. Because as I kept hitting those ceilings, the instrument kept opening more and more. Tell me about those early days, because I'm guessing that, like you were just saying, you were creating a style, a vibe on stage. Tell me what that was like. When I started playing in jazz clubs, I thought, well, I, first, first I wanted to come in looking like a classical player and then be like, and, but let me show you that I'm not. And then I realized that it was a whole package. I had to embody who I wanted to be. And so I was constantly playing with what I was wearing or how I was looking to help me show up in a more daring way to the music. The harp kept opening up. I had to amplify it. And then one day I looked at it and I was like, oh my God, there's a soundboard here. This is not just a harp, it's a drum. And I started using percussion on the harp. I started just discovering parts of it. Then I got discovered. Curiosity seems to be following you wherever you go from the time you started taking things apart as a child to figure right. out how they worked. And then we go to this next step where you right. started thinking about how you could make your harp smaller and more portable. But what I'm noticing is in doing so, it actually became physically more a part of you. I was touring internationally, and that's really hard with an instrument that weighs 75 pounds and is very delicate. And then in its box, it weighs, you know, 200 pounds. And I began to realize I'm spending all my time getting this instrument around. I need something that I can wear. And so I sort of envisioned this harp that was like if a harp married an electric guitar and they had a child, that was the instrument I wanted. And finally, I created my own prototype. And then I took it to the most visionary harp builder in the world, a man named Joël Garnier. And I said, this is what I want to do. And I just physicalized what I was going to do instead of trying to make it in words. And I remember he said to me, ah, Deborah, now I understand what you want. And the next <laughs> time I saw him, he had built a true prototype. And that completely changed my life because now I was not separate from the instrument. I was not behind it. I was not trying to liberate it or liberate myself or do things with it. It was me. It was like becoming a centaur or an animal. It was like having a prosthetic for a voice that you never knew you were missing and I could wear it. And that changed everything. And it also changed it because I started singing. But I loved when I could plug it in, I could be loud. Now, what I didn't realize was that I could also be far more intimate. So when I have an electric instrument and I'm on a stage and there's 3,000 people in the audience and I can, because it's electric, I can play something very delicate and the person in the back row can hear it. That to me is the beauty of the spectrum of human expression. 
So along the way, you are performing on stages large and small all around the world. You're signed to a record deal. You meet a philanthropist who said to right. you that he wanted the world to hear you. And really, yeah. I guess what he wanted to do is help your ideas come to life. And that must have felt so good for you. Tell me about that. Once I had the music, I started going and playing as a soloist with different symphony orchestras. And after I was played with this orchestra in Michigan called the Grand Rapids Symphony, Peter Weggie, this man who I didn't know, walked up and said, you know what I saw up there on stage? I want the whole world to see. And I was like, well, that's nice. I mean, someone saying that. And like you said, he was a philanthropist and he really meant that. He didn't just mean, I just want the world to see it. He was like, I want to help you have the world see this because I love this. And it was he who asked me to submit a proposal for a project with his symphony orchestra, the Grand Rapids Symphony. And so I submitted a proposal of a show that would bring people closer than the front row, that would combine the invention of the individual with the magic of collaboration. That's what an artist's job is. You have a vision or you have an experience. It's not just to hear those angels sing again yourself, but to bring that to other people. And this project was so successful that it got yes. you a Grammy nomination, singer-songwriter right. awards, and right. a PBS special that showed That's the right. world what you were up to. How did that feel? That felt amazing to be able to actually share that vision and have people see it and bring it alive. And it was done so, so beautifully. And it was on DVD, which was great. So people could buy it all over the world and have it until, of course, people stopped buying them. And with every music project, there are restrictions. And that's part of what makes the music world work. You can't just take music and use it anywhere. We had the broadcast rights for a while to put it on PBS, but then those broadcast rights went away, as they should. And so this beautiful project, this, you know, this beautiful life, this beautiful flower that expressed who I was, it kind of went into hiding. Describe, if you can, your creative mm -hmm. process. I'm talking about the notes, the ideas, the motion, the message. How does a song come to life in your mind? It comes through different things, but often through some kind of an inspiration, of course. And, you know, we say we have an impulse or an inspiration, but often it's because we are touched by something. It usually comes to me in something that I could do myself, that I could create myself. And then when I have the opportunity to work with other people, I get to go back to that same idea and see how it can bloom in a different way. It's easiest for me to just strap on my harp and sing and play. When you're playing with a symphony orchestra, you have to write all the symphony orchestra parts. So that was an incredible journey to realize there's such a difference between being able to be spontaneous and creating a situation in which you can be spontaneous. So if you want to be spontaneous with a symphony orchestra, you have to, I personally have to spend months crafting it all out so there is that space for spontaneity. That's why it's so liberating and beautiful to be on stage. And that's why I feel like I'm an ambassador to the world of music and imagination. Because I feel like when I'm on stage, the audience is on one side and that magic is on the other side and I get to open that door. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. 
and we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. So let's open the door to a piece of magic right now. We're going to listen to a piece of one of your songs, and this is called Dance the Way You Dance. Can you tell us the story behind this song? Yeah, I'm often writing songs to help me get through things. And this particular song, I was just feeling really awkward about myself and like I should change. And a voice came into me and said, no, you have to dance the way you dance. You have to sing the way you sing. And that is how you bring your voice into the world. So here she is. This is Deborah Hansen Conan with Dance the Way You Dance. Dance the way you dance To the rhythm of your own heart You gotta close your eyes And listen till you hear it Listen till you hear the music thing in common, and that is we've both performed with the Boston Pops. And I have to tell you that when I stood there, I sang Over the Rainbow, and when I stood there and the orchestra wrapped themselves around me, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what I want to talk a little bit about is you've had the ability to not only write all those parts and hear them come together, but then to step outside and do your own solo performance. I'm guessing you love something about each one of those experiences. Well, yeah. And the thing that I love about symphonies is I get to do both at the same time. And that's why this project is called Invention and Alchemy. There's the invention of the individual and the alchemy of collaboration that makes it so beautiful on the relationship of a soloist to a symphony orchestra. And when I'm playing with symphony orchestra, the other thing I love is hearing the individual voices of the players and then hearing how they all come together. I will say, yes, some of the peak musical experiences of my life, I remember one of them was in a rehearsal, empty hall, we were just playing to each other. I had written this beautiful English horn solo that was really me writing my mother's voice come back to life. And the player was playing it so beautifully. And there was just this feeling that we were all experiencing a peak experience together with no audience. We were playing for each other. And that was one of the things that I remember of being just inside that experience. And that's what I want to be able to bring people into. For me, when you're sitting in the audience, it's just so far away. You know, I want to be in there. You have influenced an entire generation of harpists. 
redefining the instrument, making it hip. By the way, your <laughs> website right. is hipharp.com. How does this feel to know that there are little girls who've grown up wanting to be harpists? I know. That was really funny. When I first invented this harp or came up with the idea, I, was, I thought it was like, this is the harp of the future. Yes, everyone's going to want to do this. Come on, everyone. Hey, where's everyone? And nobody was following me. And I was like, what's going on here? And then in the new generation, when I came up with the new harp, which people can hear about in the TEDx talk, when I finally asked the builder, suddenly everyone was buying this harp and it's now called the DHC harp after me, Deborah Hansen Conant. And when I asked him, why are people buying this now? Why didn't they buy it before? And they're buying it now. And he was like, well, Deborah, I mean, you know, they grew up and they saw you and they were little girls. They saw you playing on the stage. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. I've been doing this for a generation. I think that we each come into this world and we create what we create. And I often feel like it's like a relay. We, we create it to pass it on to somebody else because that person needed that instrument for their voice. And now that other harpists play the concertos that I've written for symphony orchestra, I realized that they needed me to write it so they can have freedom and so they can express their voice. And so while I'm gotta admit, sometimes I feel a, a little bit jealous and I think that's a beautiful thing. I also realize that is my job and I love my job as an artist. It is my job to pass that on. Do you feel like a trailblazer? Because I'm here to tell you that you are. It didn't so much feel like trailblazing as it felt like, wait a second, I know that's possible, but what do I have to do to make it actually real? And I would definitely encourage people in the world that if you want to feel successful, don't be the first one because you're so exhausted by the time you get there, you're just like, (laughs) hey, everybody's passing me. But on the other hand, it is so beautiful to be part of that, the relationships And even the discouragement or the hard times or, you know, throwing myself down on the floor and saying, why do I have to try, you know, twice as hard to be half as good as everybody else? Or why can't I strap this concert harp on? It also is beautiful to have gone through that. I wouldn't say like, I feel like I'm a trailblazer, but I do love the beauty of that journey and all the people that I've gotten to engage with on it. What is it about this instrument that you love so much? There's a line in your TED Talk where you say, the harp is for your fingers to sing. And I thought, that is beautiful. What yeah, is this um, love affair? You know, it's so funny because I, for many, many, many years, I would always ask myself, why the harp? It's, I can't do what I want to do with it. Why have I spent my life playing the harp? Why? And then I started to realize that it is such a gracious and open instrument. It lets my fingers speak. So when I say that it's a prosthetic, I mean that without the harp, my fingers have no voice. And my fingers have always been important to me ever since I was a kid. I was just fascinated with them and what they could do. But this instrument is open. It doesn't put anything between you and your fingers and the strings. And that then lets me make all kinds of sounds. And that's what's helped me fall in love with it. Not what it was, but everything that I discovered that it wasn't and that it opened up to me and that it is simply an open palette, a way for my fingers to sing. And speaking of things being open, right now you've got a great opportunity because streaming restrictions have been lifted on your project and you are now able to have the world listen to this work again. Tell us about the fundraiser for the orchestra during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Yeah, this is such a beautiful moment because I can remember when Peter Wege said, when I saw it on stage, there on stage, I want the world to see. And this 15, 20 years later is the moment when it actually is happening, when the entire world can see this. So starting on July 11th, we will be able to open it up to streaming. There'll be a premiere where we're going to have a YouTube premiere and it'll be like an orchestra premiere with like a gala VIP and the orchestra will be there, the conductor will be there, and I'll be able to present this work. Then there'll be a couple other encores for people around the world and then a streaming window of this. And it is so incredible after all this time to bring people in. And at the same time, I'm creating a class that's called How I Built This, where I'm showing how I built each one of these pieces so people can see on the inside. You know, how does someone who doesn't grow up taking music lessons figure out how to create something like this with symphony orchestra? How do they get from point A to point B? And I love doing this because I love breaking things down and then showing others how they can take these ideas and use them themselves. I noticed a lot of parents will bring their children to my show to show them what it's like to have someone who takes their imagination and just builds things with it. And then the other thing I like that I hear after my show is that people feel inspired. And it's not like they feel inspired, I'm going to go get a harp. They seem to feel inspired to liberate what they do have and to go back and connect with passions that they had in the past and to feel like it never is too late. And that's what I love most about performing is that it seems to liberate and empower and connect and inspire other people. So if there's a young artist listening to this program, which I hope there is somebody Mm -hmm. somewhere around the world, what do you say to perhaps a young girl who's just about to pick up an instrument? How do you want her to feel about that? whether it's young or whether you're in your 80s or 90s or in your hundreds, that moment when you make that connection and you have a partnership with an instrument is a magic moment. And my belief is that you can have a peak musical experience at any level of technical ability if you really truly connect with it literally find your own voice by playing. I mean, there's a reason they call it playing. It really is about playing with the instrument, finding what it has for you, finding how you can give that instrument a voice that maybe no other person has ever given it before. And often it is when we connect with others, either by playing for them or with them or to them or around them, that the magic happens. I believe that we see our lives in chapters. And if I had asked you this last question 20 years ago, which is when I think I first met you, you probably would have a different answer than you have right now based on your life experience. At this moment, Deborah Hansen Conant, what does success mean to you? How do you define that? So there's external success and then there's internal success. When it comes to self-actualization and self-expression, I think it's based on the love of people to not give up on themselves. That is what success is, to not give up on yourself. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week and for inspiring people all around the world. Thank you so much for being our guest on The Story Behind Her Success. Thank you so much, Candy. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. 
This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?